What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 104. We took Tuesday off for July 4th and celebrated with joy and gratitude. Went to the beach, got in the pool, had some laughs, saw some storms roll in. It was epic on the beach, actually, to watch storms roll in. Um, I hung on the beach while the storm rolled through. It wasn't super dangerous. Uh, You can always ask your local lifeguard what's going on. Um, and they will say, as soon as I leave this chair, it's time to go. Um, so if you're on the beach and you ever wondered, that's what's up. Um, so I did not do a podcast on Tuesday, but today is Friday and I'd like to do a podcast for you now. And I say welcome to the Craig Honeycutt podcast with me, Craig. Ah, today I am drinking a nice glass of orange juice with ice in it on a hot summer day. Um, I just returned from the unveiling of the Carolista Balm historical marker at the entrance of Jockey's Ridge State Park, which is where I live. I live on the edge of 426 acres of living sand dune. It is the most popular state park in North Carolina. And uh, I sit on the board of the Friends of Jockey's Ridge, and one of our board members is Ann Cabblebaum. And it was her mother, Carolista Balm, who stopped the development of what is now Jockey's Ridge State Park, uh, in 1973, she stood in front of a bulldozer long enough that the bulldozer man left, and then she went to work to make sure that this place would be designated a state park, which it was in 1975. So for our community, for our group, for Cabell, um, it's a big day to see this historical marker go up, and so I'm just returning from that with a nice cold glass of orange juice. So here's to you, wherever you are, whenever you are, however you are. Mm. So, uh, another announcement. The band Everything is playing tomorrow, July 8th, at the Tally Ho Theater in Leesburg. We're doing a 45-minute set as a four-piece, uh, playing with Emmett Swimming. Uh, it is a benefit for our bass player, Andy Waldeck, who had heart surgery, so we're raising money for him. So if you live in the D.C. area, come to the Tally Ho Theater uh, and get your swerve on, because it's going to be great. I love making music with Nathan and Steve and Andy. I love making music and being around people, and I love to see how it can bring us together and heal the wounds. Um, that's important. Boy, I sounded like a radio DJ, to heal the wounds. Sorry, that did not sound authentic. Um, it's a beautiful day. It's summer. It's hot. And lots of summer storms, as I mentioned. And uh, yeah, it's July. I hope you're doing well. I hope that your life is treating you well, and I hope that you're treating life well. Today, something's been on my mind around the idea of having a small life and small moments. Um, And me as a person, as a front man of a band, I was always living for the big moments. I wanted to have a grand life and big success and big audiences. And the bigger the moment, the more I felt at peace. And I talked about this um, in a previous podcast about how much peace I felt when I was in front of 10 to 30 to 50,000 people. I just felt really quiet. Um, And that I struggled in my own quiet moments. And I think that I'm not alone around people who try to be exceptional or try to be great at something that sometimes when the spotlight turns off and they're alone, uh, it causes trouble. And I think that's why a lot of older artists OD and have issues because maybe they don't have the thrill that they used to, right? And so, and and veterans run into this as well from not having a mission anymore. So there are interrelated threads for very, very different reasons, different levels of ego and all of that. So I just, 
um, to be articulate here and, and careful with my language, especially around veteran issues, because being in a war is uh, a very unique experience and deserves its own compassion. Um, but, you know, I had this moment. So there's a couple of moments. It's going to lead into another moment. Um, and I live here with my wife, Trisha, and my daughter, Vera. And we had a friend come in from D.C., had dinner with us and brought his dog and our dogs hung out. And it was a really nice night, a really good dude. And at the end of it, he's like, man, he's like, I had a great time. He's like, you guys have such a great little life here. He's like, it really radiates outward. You know, and there was like a little part of my ego. It's like, wait a minute, I don't have a small life, you know? And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I actually do have a small life. Like, I've got a little family. I live in a condo. I live in a small town. I'm on a board of directors of a Friends of State Park group, and I walk a lot. I do yoga, um, and I was like, you know what? I do have a little life, and I started to think about that. I started to think about the idea of a little life, and I was thinking about like big artists with little lives, and so put a pin in that for a second because I heard something else that reminded me of how... Destiny turns on small moments and unseen moments back to a, having a little life. You just don't know when that little moment is going to lead to something huge. So I was listening to a Jocko podcast, the Jocko Willingson, ex-Navy SEAL, and a really brilliant or orator. Like he's great at reading books and telling stories. But anyway, he's talking about July 4th, 1863, um, which is the Battle of Gettysburg. And he was reading from uh, Joshua Chamberlain's book. So Joshua Chamberlain. Uh, main guy, colonel, um, responsible for Little Round Top at Gettysburg, the left flank, which is the most exposed flank of the Union Army, which was defended all costs. It was an unbelievably brutal day, and he ended up getting the Medal of Honor for it. And there's a you should go re read his book because he's a brilliant writer. He ended up a, a president of Baldwin College in Maine, so he's a scholar. He survived like getting wounded like five times. Like it's an unbelievable story and his articulation is so incredible. And he talked about years after the war, he got a letter from some dude in Alabama. So one of the uh, regiments that attacked Little Round Top was uh, some Alabama people, Alabama people and Texas people. So some dude from Alabama wrote him years after that battle and after the war and just said, hey, dear sir, I just wanted to let you know that during the Battle of Little Round Top, you know, I was a sharpshooter and I had found a really good vantage point in a tree and I saw you standing above your men on the hill and I saw that you were a colonel and I figured it would be a good idea to take you out. And I had you dead to rights right in front of me. And he's like, and as I was about to squeeze the trigger, I couldn't do it. Some weird feeling said, don't do it. And he's like, and then I stopped and I rethought. and was like, hey, I need to kill this colonel because this is what's up. He's like, and I went to do it again. And he's like, I had you square in my sights. I would have killed you. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't pull the trigger. And he's like, and now I can see that it was really important for me not to have pulled that trigger. And it's amazing because that one battle was the very tip of like what turned the war. Right. And it led to the Gettysburg Address and like all these things. And this unseen moment of this person who reconsidered their position to do what arguably for somebody in his position he was supposed to do, he didn't do that. And you think about that one tiny moment 
that if it had been different to take out somebody who was so powerful and influential for that moment, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, the destiny could have been very different for all of us. And so I think about like having a small life. And and for so long, I was trying to have a huge life. Like I want to be a big character and do all this stuff. And I did a lot of stuff, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't stable. And as I've lived down here on the Outer Banks and I've gotten a stable life, I realized, and I was talking with a friend of mine about this, where when you get quiet, when you get stable and you get into your habits of prayer and meditation and yoga and health and paying attention, it's much easier to hold larger amounts of psychic energy, larger amounts of energy and large amounts of intellect and information and sensitivity. And I think about like um, big artists who have little lives. And my friend Hunt sent me some corrective information because I did a little uh, podcast about The Cure after my seeing The Cure. And they're such an unbelievable band. And I've spent more time with them uh, watching their shows. So if I went to Meriwether Post and already somebody has the entire show up. So I'm going to actually put the link on YouTube to the Meriwether Post Pavilion show. But um, the amount of love coming for this band. Um, is unbelievable. I wore my Cure shirt and I I had a stranger just be like, oh my God, did you see The Cure? He's like, I've always wanted to see them. I know they're on tour. And and he was just gushing over The Cure, some stranger. And so I wanted to do some corrective information because I I had a little bit of a a brain mishap on mentioning the members of the bands. The current members of the band are longtime bass player Simon Gallup, um, Perry Bamante on guitar on keys, um, Jason Cooper on drums, Roger O'Donnell on keys, and Reeves Gabrels on guitar. And then, of course, um, Robert Smith being the center of gravity. And that's kind of like the next thing I wanted to talk about in terms of this big artist with little lives. So I was talking with my friend Hunster because we're huge Cure fans and just about how when the Cure aren't on tour, you don't hear about the Cure. And then they show back up and they're better than ever and their songs have more resonance and more people love them and people can't get enough of them. And then when they are not on tour or making an album, you don't hear about them. And Robert Smith, so there's an article in the Irish Times of, from like 2018 where they started talking about wanting to make a new record and doing some shows. Um, they just talked about how Robert Smith moved, I think, to somewhere in Essex. So he moved to a quiet area and he talked about sort of like being famous in the 80s in London and how he was like, I just had to get out. And he's like, and I had some friends who did not make it out. And I can attest that fame, is you have to be really careful with it. It's, uh, you confuse having a big life for making great work. And you forget that you need a little life to treat yourself right to make the big work sometimes. Because it's about the work, not about the life. And I think famous people lose that sometimes. And Robert Smith moved to a quiet, small town. And just hangs out and lives and is Robert Smith and then shows up and he makes great work and does great concerts and people love it. And that was a really strong reminder of like, oh, yeah, that's right. We can all think with admiration of actors and musicians and people who go and have small lives. Um, And that Robert Smith is one of those people who kind of has a small life but has a big work. And it's such an interesting dichotomy because it seems like sometimes it's the opposite, but it's not. 
And so going back to the idea of, you know, someone saying, hey, you have such a great little life here. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm in a really great space to then make great work. And so powerful. And even thinking about like Vincent Van Gogh, like seeing the Van Gogh exhibit and just like the little room, his little bedroom where he did all his work, right? And made his paints and stuff. And it's just like, yeah, he was just a dude trying to not be mentally ill and make art. And he made great work. And he was connected and all that stuff. But like he fundamentally, he lived in a little bedroom and made work in a little town. And how many great works come out of people with little lives who walk and have a cup of coffee in the morning and just keep their daily rhythms pretty chill while their brains and their psyches connect with something much greater? And that's such a powerful lesson because I think that I'm as guilty of uh, looking for the shiny new thing and some distraction and some adventure and all of that is important. It really truly is. And thinking about the great masters who go to the monastery, they go to the mountain, they do the inner work. And that's also powerful. So... That's what I have for you today. I hope you have a beautiful Friday, a beautiful weekend. I will talk to you next Tuesday. If you're coming to the Tally Ho Theater, we will see you from the stage. Be good to yourself.